please remain standing for the reading of God's word. It is from the book of Hebrews chapter 4. This is the word of the Lord. Indeed, may he mix faith in our hearts as we have it read to us and taught to us. Hebrews 4 at verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Uh, this is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. I invite you to turn with me now to pray just for a moment as we ask the Lord to help us in his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are our teacher and that you guide us. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would open up uh, our eyes to see and ears to hear. Uh, give us a supple heart and a very tender conscience. And that, Father, you'd be working with your word, uh, teaching us, guiding us, and leading us. Uh, come and feed us. Be our shepherd. Uh, we are your sheep. And so tend to your flock, we ask. Lord, be with us now, we pray. In Jesus' holy name. Amen. Congregation of the Lord, do you ever give pause to think then that perhaps owning up to and then acting upon your limitations makes up the Christian life? Owning up to your limitations, acting upon those limitations, such matters help to make up the Christian life or the Christian way of discipleship. So to put it in the form of a question, do you see the Christian life as a life of limitations? Well, your heavenly Father does. God sets up life this very way. He teaches us right from Genesis chapter 1 that he is creator. He's the Lord God creator. And yet we know the limitations of being creatures. We know the limitations of being creatures. Think of this verse about our Lord. Uh, Psalm 115 at verse 3. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Wow, that's, that's a verse regarding uh, the lordship of our God and being our creator. He is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. But we're not to think to ourselves that his lordship and being our creator means that now he's raw and sterile impersonal, not at all. In a time with Moses and Israel in Exodus 34, we learn something about the character of our God. Though he's high and lofty and our creator, we learn about his personableness. The Lord, the Lord your God, merciful and gracious. Watch these attributes now. He's merciful and gracious, long-suffering. He's abounding in goodness and truth. He's keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but by no means clearing the guilty, and visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That's Exodus 34. But also over in Deuteronomy, you get more about how he is personal. Your Lord, your God, he's the God of gods and Lord of lords. He's, he's the lofty God. But now watch these words. This great God, he's mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless. And he loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. So just by way of introduction, we're being reminded that our God is the infinite God. He's lofty in his being. 
And he's great and glorious in who he is as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, our one God existing in three persons, always yet remaining faithful and true. And he does reveal to us that indeed he's personal all the while. But then we have man, right? We have us as creatures. Think with me of a couple of verses. Now how about us as creatures? We know our limitations. Listen to Psalm 8. David writing these words. King David, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you've ordained, what is man? What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Listen also to Psalm 103. Again, reflecting on our creatureliness. Psalm 103. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so it flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. Psalm 103. You see, our God is God. Man is man. Does your theology, does your Bible teaching, does your Bible learning include living the life of faith and obedience with your limitations. In Hebrews chapter 4, in our passage here tonight, we're being taught about two limitations, and we're also being taught in the second place then, some facts about our great high priest. Let's look at the two limitations. We're being taught about two limitations arising out of this passage, Hebrews 4 at verse 14. What's the first limitation? God is distant. What's the second limitation? God requires purity. So what do I mean here about limitations? In the first place, the fact that he is distant. We get it from these words that our God is in the heavens. And then we have a limitation that we must consider. Here it is. How will we ever reach up to him? How will we ever reach him? Our Bible verse here at verse 14 says that Jesus has passed through the heavens. Now maybe you remember that story from Acts chapter 1, his ascension. Remember that story? There are the two disciples gazing upward. Or the disciples are gazing upward there. And Jesus is taken up, and the Bible tells us, up into the clouds. And then all of a sudden, they can't see him anymore. So the fact of the matter is, Jesus has passed through the heavens. There's an assumption here in this passage. There's a distance between heaven and earth. There's a chasm. He is God and we are men. And we should know our limitations. And it's this matter of a distance. How can we reach him? Now, friends, in context, we know this passage is ultimately about seeking God in prayer, isn't it? We know where the passage is going to go. And we think about our God and his greatness and his glory. And you can talk to anyone today. And isn't it true? We're always looking for someone who will listen to us. Someone who can be reached. Someone who will sit alongside of us and who's able to be near to us. Someone who will come alongside and offer help. And you see, we look around the world and we say, well, we'll say, I didn't make this. And we begin to think, is God near? Can God be approached? Can we reach him? And we know something about our own limitations. 
I think I was in third grade in South Louisiana on my bicycle, riding down my neighborhood street to Hillside Baptist Church. And I went there just on a summer day. I jumped off my Stingray bike as a second or third grader. I can remember the bike just kind of tumbling over into the clover field there. I ended up, you know, graciously, purposefully landing on my back and then beginning to look up at the big white puffy clouds. I'm a second grader, maybe a third grader. And I began to think to myself, God, why did you make all of this? And and as a result of that, beginning to think, are you there? Are Are you able to hear me, God? Even as a second or third grader, I remember that. Riding my bike down to the church parking lot, jumping off into the clover and looking up and beginning to wonder. That's a limitation, wondering, can he be reached? There's a second limitation flowing out of the passage. God requires purity to be in his presence. A second limitation. He's altogether separate from sin. The Bible refers to this as being, that word is holy. He is holy. And you see with the reference in our passage to the great high priest, our reference to the high priest, it takes us back to the Old Testament. You see, the priest back in Moses' day, he would represent the people before God in the tabernacle. And that same priest would identify with the sacrifice that he brought to God in worship. He prepared the sacrifice. He would carry the sacrifice. And having put the sacrifice of the sacrificial animal to death, he would then sprinkle the blood on the altar. What's going on here? He's identifying with the sacrifice. He's offering up to God, by God's own design, the payment for man's sin. And you see, as the priest, he would be identified with the death payment. All symbolic. It's God's appointed means of forgiveness. But what does it mean? This matter of a great high priest or this matter of a priest and taking us back to the Old Testament to Moses. What does it mean? It means to be near to God, one must be forgiven and clean. And therefore we have this limitation too. How can we be close to him? How can we be in his presence? There's this chasm that separates us from God. The chasm is sin. It's our ruin. It's our fallenness. How can we cross this chasm? Uh, We need that industrial strength of maybe a a 10-inch round cable of some kind, right? Some huge cable to be properly secure on one side of the chasm all the way to the other side of the chasm. And maybe somehow we can cross on this 10-inch round cable. Or better yet, maybe we need that 460 million ton slab of concrete with those huge columns. We see them all around Houston, don't we? Those huge columns and girders and these slabs of concrete that make a bridge or a trestle or some way for that interstate to cross up high. We we need something that is secure like a bridge or a walkway that we can cross this chasm. You see why we need to live in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. And what do I mean by live there? We need to go to God's word for our answers regarding these limitations. Our God is in the heavens. 
He is great and he's glorious. He has his wonders of his perfections, of loving kindness and truth and mercy, justice. And we are upon the earth. There's a distance here. And then secondly, he is altogether holy with this inescapable purity, separate from sin, distinct, without blemish, without impurities altogether. Where is our answer in Hebrews 4? These limitations are answered by Jesus. And this Bible author here for the book of Hebrews uses this title in three or four or five different times. He's a great high priest. That's who our Savior is. We've looked at the limitations. Let's go now to look at Jesus as our great high priest. Some facts. Some facts about the great high priest. Notice in our passage, it refers to him as the great high priest. There's no other priest like the Lord Jesus. In the book of Hebrews, he's in a class by himself. This is speaking about his uniqueness. Completely, 100% God. Completely, 100% man. And he represents man to God. And he is the sacrifice. He, in his own body, he takes to himself our sin to do what? To go to Calvary's cross and to satisfy the payment for sin, the justice that God is holding over man, he takes, what we say sometimes in everyday conversation, he takes the rap, he takes the wrath of God to satisfy the justice of God. So he's in a class by himself. He is the great high priest. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. How do we receive his righteousness? How do we receive the gift, indeed, of this payment sacrifice to be the payment for us? It's by faith. Tonight, is Christ yours? Are you walking in Christ by faith? Are you living in him? Is he your representative? Here's another fact. He's gone through the heavens, the Bible tells us here. That's a key emphasis in the book of Hebrews. That's to say he's in heaven right now. He's there as our great high priest. He's there at our father's right hand. Let's pick up a third fact. Being the son of God, he's able what? Jesus is able, the passage goes on to say, to sympathize with our weaknesses. After all, he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He's able to to minister with understanding. He's able to serve with a knowledge of the life in this fallen world. He came into this world, lived under his father, tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. The spotless son of God, altogether given over to his father in that service of heartfelt and an outward expression uh, to, with that, 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 that high pitch, that high fever pitch devotion of loyalty to his father and obedience. He's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. These are the facts of our great high priest. Now, I don't know about you, but I usually don't think of Jesus as a great high priest. 
My routine thought of him is to think of him as my sacrifice for my sin, the one who gave himself at Calvary's cross. I think of his death. But when you step back and you read the book of Hebrews and you get the bigger sweep of the Bible book Hebrews here, yes, you find out that the death of Christ is real, but you find that the writer to the book of Hebrews here sees Christ's death as a stepping stone event. It is preliminary, pointing to that which is preparing us for something. Well, what is it preparing us for? His death is a stepping stone preparation event for what he is doing now. That's the book of Hebrews. What he is doing right now. If you have a Bible uh, open with you or an electronic Bible with you here tonight, turn over to chapter 8 with me. Jump over to 8 real fast here. 8 verse 1. Look at this verse, chapter 8 of verse 1. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. I'm reading New King James here tonight. This is the main point of the things we are saying. This, what the writer is saying is, if you've been following me, let me just conclude what I'm trying to bring home to your heart. That's what he's saying here. Here's the main point of what we're saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary. We have to note this, don't we? Christ's death and resurrection doesn't only mean that our sins are forgiven and that that life after death is sure, that we have everlasting life, but with his return to his Father, with his ascension back to the throne of grace, he has a ministry there. He's not done serving his Father. He's not done serving you. He's a minister, a servant, as it says here, in the heavenly sanctuary. And how does he serve? He presents himself to his Father. He's the living Savior. He's altogether righteous. That is to say, he's the accepted, beloved. God delights in his Son. The sacrifice, indeed, has been made. Therefore, Christ is accepted. And if you're in Christ Jesus tonight, Christ fully, God the Father and the Spirit, fully accept you. That's why the Apostle Paul will say over in the book of Ephesians, we are accepted in the beloved. He's serving his Father right now, presenting himself as the altogether Holy One, who's accomplished the sacrifice for sins and accepted before his Father, and in him you are too. But he's also serving this way. In his holiness, in his purity, in his spotlessness, he serves to pray. He serves to pray. Again, if you have a Bible with you tonight, turn over to Hebrews 7.24. Hebrews 7 at verse 24. But he continues forever as an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost. At verse 25 there. Those who come to God through him. Why? Since he always lives to make intercession for them. (laughs) Jesus Christ is serving tonight. And what is he doing? He is praying. And he is serving to carry out this intercessory prayer. And that means that he's praying on behalf of his children. He's praying for you. 
So he's there serving and he's able to offer prayer with sympathy and understanding about our situations. He's the very God-man representing us and advocating for us. And indeed, he's the qualified servant to be there, to be there as our living righteousness. God's son offering a pleasing sacrifice of prayer unto his father for you. I like what Wesley says, Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne, my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. He ever lives above for me to intercede. His all-redeeming love, his precious blood to plead. His blood atone for every race and sprinkles now the throne of grace. Now note the exhortation. In this passage here, uh, Hebrews 4, 14 on down to 16, I close with a reference to the exhortation. What's the exhortation? It's twofold. We're to hold fast. Verse 14 at the end, let us hold fast our confession. And then he expands on that exhortation. Look at verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Why this exhortation to hold firmly to the faith we profess? Why this exhortation to pray with confidence? You see, we're exhorted this way because we need to go to our great high priest. We need to go to our great high priest who knows our limitations. We are weak. He is our everlasting strength. We are foolish. He is our heavenly enduring wisdom. We are in desperate need. And he is well acquainted with our needs. And he himself, having been tempted at all points as we are, yet without sin. We easily give up. Give in. Mark Sumter easily turns inward to rely upon himself. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he is without sin. And he serves as the resurrected and ascended Lord. He is the ruler over sin. He's the conqueror over death. He's the victor over Satan. And therefore, he knows how important it is to pray for us. Remember the little episode with Simon Peter? The little story with Simon Peter. Simon, Simon, Jesus told him, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And what does Jesus say? I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. He prays and he understands our situations. So you see how in these Bible verses, our God is the God who closes the gap. He closes the gap. Praise God that, you see, he didn't leave it up to man. Man, you reach up to me. Our God came to us. Amen? Amen. He came to us. He came to us in his son. And even more so, he came as our righteousness. And you see, being united by faith in Christ, being united to Jesus Christ by faith in Christ, our Father 
looks at us through his son. I like what one of our own pastors in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, one of our own pastors has a comment about Jesus' prayer for us. Listen to these words. I like these words. It doesn't matter how complicated, how desperate, perhaps even hopeless your life has become. No matter how overwhelmed you may feel by your problems, if your trust is in Jesus Christ, you can be sure that he's praying for you now. And through that prayer, he will provide for you the resources to bring you relief or enable you to carry on. The most important thing that you and I need to learn about prayer is this. First of all, and ultimately, prayer is not something we do, but what Jesus does for us. I need that. I need that. Because your trust is in Jesus Christ, you can be sure that he's praying for you now and he will enable you to carry on. And so we take this, we take these exhortations in this new week now and we say, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, come and take us. Let us hold fast our confession. He's praying for you. To hold fast. And let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. He's praying that indeed we would obtain that mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Discipleship in Christ is owning up to, right? And then acting on our limitations. God, it's all you, and I'm here to serve you. Let's pray. Lord God of heaven and earth, we ask that you would come and bring home to our hearts the application of these promises, that Jesus Christ is ours, your wondrous gift whom you have given for us. And so, Father, in discipleship to you in this new week, we're here to serve, here to glory in Christ, and and we're here to know that indeed he is praying for us. He is our security, he is our surety. Indeed, he is our confidence. Lord, uh, direct our lives, direct our hearts. We ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.